morning. Uh, this morning we are uh, continuing our series in the book of James. And uh, through this series, the title for the series is Faith That Works. Um, and we've been thinking about what it means uh, for us not just to say Jesus is Lord, but what does that look like through the entirety of our lives? When we say Jesus is Lord, in what ways is this evidenced day to day uh, in all of the different aspects and areas and circumstances of our lives? We've been gradually going through James chapter 1, bit by bit, uh, over the last five or six weeks. Um, we've thought about what it means to have uh, a servant faith, a suffering faith, an expectant faith, a perceptive faith. Uh, last week, Andrew took time to look at what it means to have a blessed faith. Uh, and this morning, we're thinking about what James uh, says in verses 19 to 21. And we're thinking about what it means to have a rooted faith, a rooted faith. Um, let me just encourage you. Uh, as we look at this passage today, uh, and as we, as we do so in light of all that we've already looked at, so we've looked at a number of different uh, aspects of, of faith, and um, we've spent a lot of time looking at all these different focuses uh, as a means uh, of encouraging and equipping us uh, in our faith. Uh, and all of what we've looked at is essentially varying expressions of the great command. Uh, if you have a look at Matthew 22 and verses 37 to 39, uh, we see this great command. Um, Jesus unpacks what it means for you and I to live in light of God's love. Uh, and it's so important we just hold on to this. Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as we think about all these different expressions of, of faith, really at the heart of it is the great command. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. So through that lens this morning, let's just take time to look at what James says. Um, these words are essentially a manifestation of the words of Jesus. So Matthew, so uh, James chapter 1 and verses uh, 19 to 21. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. So James says this. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. So, Father, we, we just thank you for uh, this passage. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, that we have the opportunity to hear from you today. And we pray, Lord, that in this time, you would speak, and Lord, that we would respond also. This would be something that we respond to in the moment right now, but it would also be something that we choose to actively respond to day to day, beyond today, Lord, into the rest of this week. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for all that you're doing within the life of this church, and I pray, Lord, that we would grow today as a result of what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... As we think about what it means to have uh, a rooted faith, uh, we do so in light of this passage and we recognise that in every area of life, the internal determines the external. The invisible, more often than not, determines the visible. The unseen determines the seen. And for James to say what he says in this passage in regards to what it is we should do, he first recognises the importance of who it is we should be. So he obviously speaks very clearly about what we should do. But before that, as a foundation, he highlights who we should be as individuals. It's who we are 
that guides what we do. And I know I've said that a lot in the last few weeks. Who we are guides what we do. That's just so essential to our Christian life. And that applies to the good things and the bad things. Who we are determines what we do, both good and bad. And as we also think about what it means for you and I to have a rooted faith, we do so recognising that James, like so many biblical writers, use terminology and they use wording and phrases and lessons from the natural world to highlight who it is we have been called to be in Christ. We know this to be true. We learn lessons from the natural world but are in some way reflected within our own lives. So I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, as the natural world has seasons, uh, spring, summer, autumn and winter, so our lives go through various seasons. Is that not true for us? We can all recognise that. We see this in the natural world, different seasons. I know it's supposed to be summer right now, but spring, summer, autumn and winter, we also go through seasons in life. As the natural world has a whole host of different processes and activities, and each of those processes has a particular reason behind it, so also with our lives, we go through all sorts of different experiences and circumstances, and we can have confidence that there is a reason behind that. We may not understand this, this side of eternity, but we can know for certain that God has a plan and a purpose in the midst of all that we face. And as the natural world has plants and trees that will grow in healthy environments, and it also has plants and trees that will die in unhealthy environments, so as with us in our own lives, if we are surrounded by a healthy spiritual environment, then we will grow and flourish. And if we live a life and we are surrounded in an unhealthy spiritual environment, then we will also struggle and suffer uh, and we will find ourselves spiritually struggling. Uh, this last example is something of what James touches upon in our passage this morning in verses 19 to 21. So he wants us to see that a healthy man or woman of God is rooted well. He's rooted well. He or she is rooted well. They're rooted in the right stuff. And this then leads to a healthy spiritual life. And oppositely, an unhealthy man or woman of God is not rooted well. They're not rooted in the right stuff. And they're not spiritually healthy. So as we think in James 1, um, as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think about Psalm 1 as well and as we see what all that Psalm 1 says this is something we did look at a few weeks back but I just want to highlight the connection between James 1 and Psalm 1 in terms of what it means to have a rooted faith so James uses this phrase in James 1 verses 19 to 21 the implanted word the implanted word and the psalmist speaks of a tree that has been planted and is rooted well so have a look at verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 1 the psalmist says this how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. And this is key for us. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So that the man or woman of God, the person who chooses to prioritise God in their life, they're like a tree planted 
beside flowing streams. They bear fruit in season, their leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. Take hold of that as we think about James chapter 1. Uh, as we think about this tree planted here in this psalm, we're drawn to this idea of the roots, the roots of a plant or a tree. And the roots have a number of important functions. I get a C in biology, so I'm no expert on this. But the roots absorb water, minerals and nutrients from the ground below. They provide important sustenance for the tree. The roots actively store these nutrients in food. And they can then be used in more difficult winter months. So these roots actually provide a storage facility. So when it is tough and difficult for the tree or plant, they can use that resource. Again, that's a picture of our own lives. And finally, the roots act as an anchor to the visible part of the tree. The stronger the roots, the more difficult that tree will be uprooted. The less that chance, that tree will have a chance of being moved as well. And what the psalmist highlights here is that as a tree is healthy because of what or where it is rooted in, beside flowing streams, so also we are healthy in our own lives because of what we are rooted in, or rather who we are rooted in. So as a tree has healthy roots because of what it's surrounded by, if we are surrounded by believers, if we are in Christ, then we can be certain that we will be healthy, spiritually speaking. The reality for you and I is that we're healthy when we're rooted in God and we're rooted in God when we're rooted in his word. To be rooted in God's word is to be someone who truly delights in the Lord's instruction, scripture. It's to be someone who truly meditates on God's word day and night. And this is what Psalm 1 and verse 2 speaks of. So as we see in this psalm, we also see this in James chapter 1. We're thinking this morning about a rooted faith. And as we, reflect, as we reflect on that reality of having the right roots or the right root within our lives, we see it so clearly within our passage in James 1. So have a look at what James says in verse 21. He says this, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want to suggest this morning that that phrase, the implanted word, is absolutely key to this entire passage, verses 19 through 21. And this is not just key to this particular passage in James. This is key, or this ought to be key, to our entire lives. The implanted word that James speaks of here is the spiritual root that will enable us to be spiritually fruitful for God. And the truth is, we can't be spiritually fruitful for God if something else is implanted within our hearts. So if our roots go into something other than God and his word, if we choose to, to be rooted and implanted in something that isn't God and the scriptures, then we will not be spiritually healthy and spiritually fruitful. This is where it gets dangerous for each one of us this morning because we can often think, we can often fall for this lie that if we choose to root our lives into something that isn't God's word, that's okay, providing it's not overtly sinful or wrong, or providing it's seen as desirable or respectable within our world. So the roots of our heart can easily go into a person. The roots of our heart can easily go into our family. Uh, they can easily go into our job, our possessions. These are good things. These are things that God has blessed us with. But we can fall for the lie that, that we can 
have these things as ultimate, almost. And in the process of doing that, we actually disregard and reject God, subtly, but significantly. Let me just say, brothers and sisters, to replace Jesus is to replace Jesus. Rooting our lives in these areas and others means we've chosen to worship something else apart from Christ. And this, by definition, is sin. This is really what sin is about. We choose to prioritize something other than Christ. So the challenge for us is, are we rooted properly? Are we rooted in Christ as a result of what his word is doing within our lives? Uh, James highlights here that the implanted word is what enables us to have a Jesus-centered life. So we will, this is a promise, it's a promise, we will love Jesus more than we love anything else in this world when his word is central to all that we are. To have a rooted faith is to have a faith that says, more than anything else, more than anything else, I want to have God at the centre of my life. And us knowing God is us taking his word seriously. This means that to have Jesus at the centre, this means that we have his word as central to our lives. Everything else has to be commentary when we compare how much we delight and meditate on his word out of our longing to know him within our lives. I hope you're challenged by that. I'm challenged by that on a daily and regular basis. To what extent is Jesus everything? To what extent do I love him more than anything else in this world? Uh, this morning what I want us to do is to, to really take time to examine that phrase implanted word so that we really get a grasp of what James is speaking of here. And what I would say to begin with is that the implanted word is not our conscience. Some commentators would say this. The implanted word is our conscience. That, this ability to decipher between good and evil, this is not what James is speaking of here. Uh, this is something that God gives us. God gives us a conscience. We do have the ability to know what is right and wrong. But it's not what James is speaking of here within this passage. And we know that James is not speaking about this innate moral ability to decide between right and wrong. Because James is clear here that the implanted word is something that you and I humbly receive. Something that, that we receive. It's not something we've always had within our lives. In other words, the implanted word is something that God has given to each one of us. God externally has given this to us. So that we might experience this internally through the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. The implanted word that James speaks of here is actually something very particular. The implanted word is the reality of what God has done for you and for me in Christ. And the truth is, he sent his son to rescue us. He has given us new life. He has transformed us so that we become new creations. And we now carry this hope of eternity if we have received this implanted word. This is what James means when he speaks of this implanted word. And this is what it means for each one of us to have a rooted faith. We're rooted in this reality of the gospel day after day. And it's not just something that we agree with. It's something that we actually find satisfaction in day after day. I hope you're challenged as I'm challenged by that. To what extent do we love this reality of what God has done for us in Christ more than we love anything else within this world? And when we understand James's words in that light, we cannot help but hold on to what the prophet Jeremiah says. So it's just amazing the consistency 
throughout both the Old and the New Testament. So in Jeremiah 31 and verse 33, we read this. The prophet Jeremiah says, or God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them. Within them. I will write it on their hearts. And notice the implication here. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God's teaching is, is where? It's within us. It's inside. It's been implanted within us. We will be his God. He will be in relationship with each one of us. Praise God that this was his plan all along. A rooted faith doesn't mean that we need to work hard at, at getting close to God. It's not like we need to do all these extra things to make us in, in, in right relationship with him. A rooted faith means that God has planted his word in us and in planting his word in us, we're changed, we're transformed and this means we actually get the opportunity to know him within our lives. We also can't help but see James's words as an echo of Jesus' words through the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. So there's every chance that James here is, is in many regards echoing and referencing these words of Christ in Matthew 13. So starting in verse 3, Jesus says this, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell in the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. They are saying, still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. So, if you love the Lord Jesus today, you're in that last category. The seed has been planted, you're now producing fruit. Don't ever take for granted what God has done for you. you know, we can come along, we can sing the songs, we can say all the right Christian chat, but in reality, do we so often, at times, do we take for granted what God has done? Do we assume this relationship? Or do we wholeheartedly recognise his goodness and grace towards us? And this responds, that this results in wholehearted praise towards him. According to James, we receive this implanted word. Our CSB says, in humility, in humility. Uh, and this is a, the next part I want us to focus on. Humility is probably the closest word we will get to translating this word. But in reality, this word does not have an English equivalent. The Greek word used here is protes. I don't know if I've said that right, but I'm just going to go with protes. This word is more often than not used to highlight someone who's teachable. Someone who's teachable, and teachable to the extent that God is at work in their life and God is bringing about real change. All of which I hope makes sense to us. Because it's one thing having the word of God, it's another thing having the word of God in the life of someone who's open to the word of God. It's a combination of the word and the open-hearted, teachable person that results in transformation. And God's at work in all of that process. So have a look at what Bartley says about this word, uh, protest, and particularly as it applies to this passage. So in James, uh, he says this, uh, Bartley says, the teachable spirit is docile and easily controlled and therefore humble enough to learn 
the teachable spirit is without resentment and without anger and is therefore able to face the truth, even when it hurts and condemns. The teachable spirit is not blinded by its own overriding prejudices, but is clear-eyed to the truth. The teachable spirit is not seduced by laziness, but is so self-controlled that it can willingly and faithfully accept the discipline of learning. Protest describes the perfect conquest and control of everything in a person's nature, which would be a hindrance to seeing, learning and obeying the truth. So I wonder if that's a picture of you in your own life, as you see this quote, as you see what, what Bartley describes as protest, this teachable spirit, may it be so that we are more and more a picture of these words. So humbly receiving the implanted word in reality, this is God going before us, this is God at work in us, and this is God also going after us, so that the entire trajectory of our lives is heading in this Godward direction. All of which, as a fresh reminder, something I've already said this morning, we cannot achieve this relationship with God. This is an absolute grace gift from him. It's not like anyone here this morning can take credit for any way in which God has been at work. Don't ever fall for that lie. Don't ever believe that you're justified before God is because of you and because of something that you've done. The only reason that you and God are one today is because he decided for you to receive the implanted word and you received that in humility. And that humility came from God as well. All we can do this morning is rejoice and give thanks and give him the glory. In the same way we give thanks when we receive a gift or a present from someone. James also highlights that this humble receiving of the implanted word of God in our lives has a very important implication he says it's able to save your souls it's able to save your souls now the soul is more than the spirit part of who we are this is often a common misconception which often is based on popular culture the soul is the entirety of who we are every part of who we are in every moment of who we are from present day to the very end this is what soul is speaking of in scripture and what James is speaking of here so when God saves our souls when James and other writers are speaking here what, what they're speaking of here is the fact that he is saving us right now and he will see this saving work through to completion all the way into eternity so this idea of our souls being saved is the fact that God has started this work and he's going to continue this work all the way into eternity forever and ever beyond this life into the life to come for billions and billions and billions and billions of years. And that's just a billion of the time we're going to spend in eternity. Praise God. So, I'm really encouraged by these words. We think of this implanted word as something that we humbly receive because God has already been at work in our lives. And it's something that guarantees our salvation into eternity. They highlight These words highlight the undeniable change and transformation that God does within our lives. It's a change that will last forever and we will never lose this relationship we have with God because of this implanted word. Surely this is what it means for you and I to have a rooted faith, a rooted faith. Let me just share the words of a famous hymn which for me just kind of highlight the power uh, of this rooted faith as we come to terms with all that God has done for us, the fact that he's given us this gift of his word 
we can be certain that we have this gift forever and we can never ever lose this gift. Not because of anything that we have done or not done, but because of what Christ has done in us. So as him says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Saviour loves me so, he will hold me fast. That's our testimony this morning. This is what it means to have a rooted faith. It's all that Christ has done for us. Everything else is commentary. What we are doing this morning, what we are doing with our lives if we have faith in Christ, is responding and rejoicing and his goodness and grace, in love towards him and in love towards other people. As we rest in a spiritual reality this morning, there's some important implications. And James, I believe that James anchors this entire passage in the fact that his word is within us, but there are some implications. You might even say expectations of how we should live. And in the rest of our time this morning, let me just share what some of these implications are so that we might more and more become men and women who do have this rooted faith. Uh, let me just caveat all of us by saying you cannot bypass all that we've just looked at and focus on these practical applications. And that's always a temptation. It's always easy just to go into practical outcomes and forget this doctrinal reality of what God has done for us in Christ. You cannot live without what I'm about to speak of if the word of God is not first dwelling richly within you. So God's word has to dwell within us first before we can ever think about living a life that reflects us. The internal determines the external. Let me just examine what are some implications of a life that is properly and correctly rooted to the glory of God. So implication one, based on this passage, we're called to be a people who are quick to listen. We're called to be a people who are quick to listen. So that's just nice and easy for us this morning. Um, how opposite of our culture today. We live in a society that is very much slow to listen. We don't want to hear what other people have to say. We only want to get over our own particular agenda. The classical writer Zeno of Elia said this, we have two ears but only one mouth that we may hear more and speak less. How difficult this really is for each one of us to be quick to listen. I'm willing to guess this morning that in men and women of God in your life, that the individuals you look up to, the ones who you see have something of, of Christ within them, are individuals who reflect this. They're quick to listen. They want to hear what's going on with you. They want to hear about a particular situation. They're attentive to what God is saying in the midst of the conversation. And no doubt about it, to listen well, is to be like Jesus. 
I would encourage you as you read the Gospels and as you look at the conversations that Jesus has throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, see how well Jesus listens and see how different that is to each one of us. Look at how well he listens to people in the midst of what they face. He doesn't carry any fear of man. His only fear is a fear of God. And he doesn't give them what they want to hear. He gives them what they need to hear in light of the fact that he's been quick to listen. So be quick to listen. To be quick to listen is not primarily the speed. It's not about the speed at which we listen to someone. It's more to do with the heart and the intent behind our listening. It's more to do with, with empathy. We're wanting to understand what it is a person is going through. So again, the implanted word changes, transforms our lives. And as a result of the implanted word, the implication is we will be men and women, number one, who are quick to listen. Implication number two, and these are connected, we're called to be a people who are slow to speak, verse 19. So there's no question about it. These two are connected. We will be slow to speak when we are quick to listen first and vice versa. And for both, we will be able to do that as God's word is ever, incre ever increasingly implanted in our lives. And from what James says here, the implication is that we will let the implication is that we will let someone else share before we ever start sharing with them. So uh, before we ever start speaking, we will allow someone to speak into our lives or into a situation. And this is not a call for us to be mutes. We're not called to be constantly silent. This is a call for us to be wise about when we speak, about how we speak, about what we speak, all out of a love for God and all out of a love for other people. Uh, Blomberg and Mariam, uh, speaking on this exact phrase, uh, say this. Uh, for Christians in every age, it is not any reluctance to confess Christ that is meant or any slackness in the work of mission, but rather patience to listen to God attentively before trying to speak in his name. And such a sense of the majesty and mystery of God and of the reverence due to his word as kills cocksureness and glibness and makes men humble both in their theological activity and in their witness. So to be slow to speak, to be quick to listen, what this means is that we have an accurate picture of who we are before God and our desire is to love God and love other people through our words and through our listening. It's the second implication. Third implication is this. We're called to be a people who are slow to anger. Slow to anger. Verses 19 to 20. And again, I hope we see the connection. These are all interlinked. A person who is slow to listen, quick to speak, will be a person who is quick to anger. And the opposite is true. A person who is quick to listen, slow to speak, will be a person who is slow to anger. The anger that James is speaking of here is anger that is overtly sinful. James is referring to unrighteousness, often in a form of wrath or rage towards someone else. And often this can be unmeasured and uncontrolled. And often it can cause serious harm or has the potential to cause serious harm towards another person. So take stock of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 and verses 21 to 26. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So, Jesus here is wanting us to understand that mental murder is just the same as actual murder in God's eyes. The reality is, who are we to pour out so much rage and wrath on another person when God has saved us from his wrath and we are forgiven and renewed and changed? Who are we to then respond in light of what God has done for us? To then respond in this way. So James says slow to anger in verse 19. And he underlines a key reason for being slow to anger in verse 20. He states, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So James wants us to understand that you and I cannot live righteous lives before God when we have sinful anger. Not just any kind of anger, but sinful anger. So what's a righteous life? What does it mean to live a righteous life? What's well, a life that's a reflection of the character and goodness of God in the world and in our lives? All of which makes sense when you read the words of Yahweh in Exodus 34, 6-7. We read this, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, Forgiven iniquity, rebellion and sin. So this is who God is. Therefore, this is who we should be as well. We should not live in unrighteous anger. If we have anger, it should be righteous. And we should be a people who are slow to anger. So for the implication, the, the fourth implication is this. We're called to, it, to be a people who get rid of all moral filth and evil. Verses 20 to 21. And the word that James uses here is quite a descriptive word. And it's a word that would normally be used to describe filthy, dirty, stained clothes. So when James says here, get rid of these, what he's saying is take these dirty clothes off. As you sin, in many regards, you're, you're putting stains and dirt on your spiritual clothes. So when we get rid of this, we're taking these clothes off. This is who you were in your previous life. But look at what God has done in your life. Therefore, take these clothes off and choose to live a life that is righteous. So this is definitely the most obvious interpretation of what James is getting at here. But alongside this, interestingly, the Greek word that James uses here is ruparia. Ruparia. And this word, as well as being used to describe dirty clothes, has its root in the word rupos, which means wax in the ear. Now when wax is in our ear, it makes us hard of hearing. It can make us deaf. So James may be saying, I'm not going to say this is what the passage is saying here, but James may be saying, get rid of the spiritual wax in your ear. Because if you have spiritual wax, this in effect is sin, and you will not hear God, you'll be deaf to God and his ways. Either way, whatever interpretation you want to hold on to, what James is describing here is that we need to, to live lives that are holy, and pleasing to him. Lives that prioritise him. 
lives that recognise our sin and confess our sin and choose to live differently. This is what repentance is. So these are the implications of a life that is rooted in God's word, out of our love for God. So my question to you this morning, as we look at these, these four implications, as you examine your life, and as you think about the challenge of being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, getting rid of all moral filth and evil, which of these areas are you struggling with? Which of these areas are you struggling with? And which of these areas do you find yourself falling short time and time again? The danger for you and I is that we can come up with all sorts of external techniques to find victory in these areas. In reality, well, what we need is a more serious and concentrated commitment to the implanted word, to God's word at work in our lives. I say that this morning because the fruit never determines the root. The root always determines the fruit. So make sure your rooted faith is such that you're rooted in God. And as a result, you're rooted in his word every single day. This is the only way to be fruitful. We don't look at these, this list and think, we're going to try really hard in all these areas and be better in these areas. No, we, we're called to, to be committed to God and his word. And as we're committed to God and his word, as we find satisfaction in his word, we will find ourselves, the fruit of that will be a life that reflects us. Uh, John Piper um, highlights that, that one of the quickest ways to fall flat, to have a, a spiritual face plant in ministry and mission, uh, is when you have a superficial life in the Word, or worse than that, a non-existent life in the Word. A number of years ago, he shared the process of what he does in his time. As he opens up the Bible, he has what is essentially a, a seven-step process to, to dig into God's word so that it might become applicable to his life and so that he might be transformed by the word. And this morning, I just want, as we close, I just want to share these steps and I would encourage you to let this be what your time in the word looks like. Not just in one day, but in every single day. From this day all the way through to your last day. May you be someone it doesn't focus on the quantity of the word, but rather the quality. The time you spend in God's word really would make a difference. And obviously quantity is more important than nothing. If you, if you find yourself reading God's word and you're not really connecting with what it says, that is always, always, always better than not reading the word at all. But better than that, better than quantity is quality. Make sure you really connect with what God is saying through his word and paper gives these seven steps which I think are helpful for us so let me just share uh, these this morning uh, number one do not settle for the haze around scripture uh, and what paper's getting at there is there's, there's always this this moment as we open the word and we have this bit of, there's a bit of a disconnect with what God is saying uh, and it's almost like a haze we don't really see what it is that the word is, is saying and how this directly applies to our lives. And we have to persevere in that moment. We have to keep reading and trusting and praying that God is going to work. So Piper says, don't settle for that. Number two, the next step after that, dig down, dig down into the words of scripture. So really get to grips with what the actual words of scripture are saying, the passages and verses that you're reading. Understand what each sentence and each phrase 
and each passage is pointing towards. Get to grips with the actual words. Number three, dig down into the intention of the authors of Scripture, and authors is plural. The human authors, and obviously God himself, what is God saying through this passage? How does he want us to benefit and be blessed by this word? Number four, dig down into the truth that it's pointing towards. So there's this bigger truth reality that we can come to terms with. As we understand the words and as we understand the intent, then we can understand there's this, there's this truth that we can take hold of. And number five, dig down into the experience of that reality. So it's one thing to know what God's word says, it's another thing to experience it. It's one thing to know a particular truth, it's one thing to experience that truth. And the only way we can experience the truth of God's word is if we ask God. If we ask in prayer, we come to him and say, God, make this alive in my heart. I have no desire to, to experience this in my life, but I have a desire to desire this. By your spirit, would you change and transform me so that I experience what it is your word says, so that I experience what, the, what this truth is pointing towards. And then number six, dig down into a value for your life. In other words, make this truth into a value and make that value a part of who you are as an individual, as a person. And then finally, number seven, share that value with, with other people so that they might come to experience and have what you have experienced and have. So the more and more we dig down, this is almost like the seven levels. We keep digging and digging and digging and digging until we have this tremendous opportunity to share with other people of the difference that Christ has made to us in our lives as a result of his word. Does that make sense? This is what it means for us to have a rooted faith. It's a faith that is rooted in his word. The implanted word, we humbly receive it and we can be certain that our souls are saved. We have this guarantee all the way into eternity. Uh, this morning we want to create space to respond to all that we've looked at. Um, and I recognise that for some of us, perhaps, uh, we just feel overwhelmed at the moment um, by our particular situation or circumstance. We want to create space this morning, so even if you want to speak to myself or someone else uh, after our time to receive prayer, have the boldness and courage to do that. Because we do believe that the church family is better when we are together, when we are honest, when we are accountable. We recognise the importance of iron sharpening iron. We are stronger and more equipped as we share our burdens with one another. Uh, for anyone who's, who's maybe suffering with an illness or ailment, we would like prayer for healing. We believe in the God who does heal. And so we would want to create space for you this morning to receive prayer uh, for healing. And we also come to the table this morning. Uh, we come to this table recognising that this really represents the heart of who we are in Christ. Jesus' body that was given for us. Jesus' blood that was shed for each one of us. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So because of this table, we can live in faith and in confidence in all that Christ is and all that Christ has done for us. This is what it means to have a rooted faith. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that 
that you have been abundantly generous towards us. Uh, and all that, that we are today is simply one of response and worship and praise. So as you have blessed us abundantly, may we respond in faith to all that you are saying to us. May we carry this hope and expectation, not just of this life, but also the life to come. And may we choose to get rid of all sin, all of the things that so easily entangle us, Lord. Would you help us to identify those in the power of your spirit? And may we confess those with a determination, again in the power of your spirit, to be different as we go into this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys.